0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Every week we've been seeing these different stories, and uh, these are stories in the key regions, the areas that uh, we support as a church. We support missionaries all over the planet. We have different ones that go out and some key strategic areas of focus. And and in all of it, what we want you to see is the life change that is happening because of the commitment and the partnership here. And so as we've been walking through and celebrating, it it is an exciting thing to see what God's doing around the planet. I think it's a good reminder and wake-up call for all of us. It's also a good reminder to remember all of this happens because of the partnership here, because people have stepped forward in it, because of the support of it. And so this weekend, this weekend's a special weekend over this whole series. This is Commitment Weekend. And as I say that, I mean a literal commitment for each of us. How are we getting on mission? Because it's not just the people we're sending. We're sent people as well to the Bay Area. And we also have the opportunity to send and support. And so I'll just tell you, this weekend, be very direct Direct about how we're using our time, direct about how we're using our resources. Some of you go, Are you gonna talk about money? Yes, very directly. I'll just tell you that right now. And and even as I say that, uh, I I know for some people that is an immediate shutdown for you, or you'll be grinding the whole time in it. Here's what I'd encourage you I think scripture speaks so much about it directly, so I I don't have any pause about that. But if that's a struggle for you, I'm gonna open in prayer. And if you go, man, I don't want to hear that, I'd encourage you, you can slip out right now. And I mean that, because, you know, if you're sitting there grinding the whole time. But, But there may be something in it that God's stirring in your heart as well. And so why don't we pray together and pray that God would just work through our time. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have redeemed all of life. You are better than all of life. And even as I hear Abdisa's story, I'm convicted, God. I have so much. I have resources. I have family. And to see a young man step out by faith like that, it just challenges me. Lord, I pray for our time here. I thank you for your word. I thank you how clear you are in it and how you call us to the things that matter most. I pray you'd speak through me, and I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, you're still here. That's good. As we look at this, you know, we're we're talking about these lives that challenge us and these stories in different ways, in a healthy way. You know, guys, at times it's good to be uncomfortable. There's a good uncomfortable because it wakes us up to what really matters in life. It's just so easy to get dulled to it. You know, a, a story of a young man I've always admired is the story of William Borden. Uh, He lived at the end of the 1800s and and into the early 1900s, and he came from a very wealthy family. His family made tons of money through mining, and when he graduated from boarding school when he was 16 years old, his parents sent him on a one-year tour of the world before he started college. He had already had acceptance into Yale, Ivy League education, his family said, you'll come and do the family business. But while traveling the planet, his heart was captured by both the physical and spiritual needs that he saw. And he wrote his father and said, I I think God wants me to be a missionary. His father was absolutely opposed to it. But his parents thought, well, just go to Yale. You'll get over this thing. He went to Yale University. And while he was there, it wasn't just what he was going to do out there. He felt called to really lead a prayer movement on the campus. And so he began prayer groups and a prayer movement and a Bible study that had over 1,300 students in groups in prayer by the time he was finished in it. Well, he was there as well. He, He knew there were real material needs in his city. So he began outreach to go help the poor, to go help the hungry, to go help those who didn't have clothing. And many a night they said, you'd see William out on the street helping the least of these. Graduated from Yale, went to Princeton Seminary, when he graduated from Princeton he, he finally told his parents I believe God's called me to the Gansu province of China to minister to the Muslims there. And he began a travel to China. He stopped in Cairo so he could learn Arabic to better minister to Muslims. And while he was in Cairo, suddenly he came down with spinal meningitis and died just a few weeks later. Dead at the age of 25. In his Bible, it was said that even though he was dying, he wrote these words, no regrets. No regrets out of my life. Now, from the world's perspective, we would look at it and we'd go, regrets? Regrets of giving up all that money, giving up your life, giving up your health, giving up everything, dying at 25? That seems like a regretful life. And yet, because of his story, it's interesting, hundreds of thousands of young people mobilized and went around the world because they were inspired by what God had done through this man. If you go to Cairo today, you can still see his tombstone. It's there in a seminary. And at the bottom of the tombstone, it says these words, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. From the world's perspective, regretful life. From a faith in Christ perspective, the only explanation is this is a no regret life because he was sold out to what Christ could do in him and through him. I, I love people like that. I love stories like that. I love hearing what God's doing in it. But if I'm really honest... There's many a day I'll get to the end of the day. I don't know if you ever had this experience where it's bedtime and you look at the day and you go, what did I do with today? There's a little bit of regret because you go, was this a useful day or end of a week? Sometimes end of a year, you look back at New Year's Eve on the last year and you go, Man, did, I, did I really make an impact this year? Did I really open myself to God in new ways? Did I step out by faith this year? Sometimes the end of a long season in life, you can do that. I think it's easy for us to slip into the day in, day out, and sometimes lose the big picture of it. So I I love that principle of beginning with the end in mind. I think whenever you look at the end, it gives you perspective on how you want to get there. And uh, it's interesting. I've, I've done a lot of messages over the course of the last 30 years with it. Probably the one message... I hear from more people about, I still get more emails about. People go, oh, man, that really shook me up. Was It's a dramatic monologue, the Bema. And I did it here once and, and still hear from people. They're like, when are you going to do that again? I don't know if I have it in me. And, and I think the reason it so captures people in different ways, one, the story's well told. I mean, the way it was written. But I think more than anything else, it forces all of us To think about that principle of the end. Literally, the day that we'll stand before Jesus. That word bema, bema, some people pronounce it, 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 it's a Greek word for judgment seat. It's the judgment seat of Christ that if you're a Christian, you will stand before him at it. Uh, All of us at the end, there's a lot we don't know about the second coming. A lot we don't know about the end times, things we try to figure out with it. There's a few things, though, that are absolutely crystal clear. One, Jesus is coming back again. The time, the day, some of those details, I don't know. We can argue about that. But he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, all of us, our eternal destiny will be determined by what he did in his first coming. His death on the cross, his resurrection, and our belief in that really determines our eternal destiny, either eternal life with him, or eternal life separated. One is great, glorious reward. One, parts of it we understand, parts we don't. We just know the horror of it. Now, here's a part, though, that we, we leave out often. All of us, whether you believe in him or not, will stand before him one day in judgment. In fact, if you look at this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul's writing believers here. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He's writing believers here. And so so those who um, are believers one day will stand this term, and this is the term Bema right here. It's judgment seat. He's writing in Corinth. If you go to Corinth today, you can still see the platform there of the judgment seat was a judge of the city that would adjudicate and and so Paul says in the same way you'll stand before Christ and he will look at your life and what you did with it now you're not being judged there based on your sins sins are already paid for you're not being judged there in order to earn eternity to earn anything with him Christ did all in that but based on what he did he, he does look at us and, and say, "What did you do with what I gave you?" A couple of principles out of this. We all will personally stand before Jesus one day. You either here as a believer or at the Great White Throne judgment as an unbeliever. And then secondly, with that, there will be different levels of reward and judgment, and both of them, it talks about it. and there's parts of this we don't understand completely. Levels of judgment, levels of condemnation. Jesus said it to the Jews. He he said in his time, he said, you who have received so much truth and still reject it are going to face greater judgment one day than even the most pagan of cities. You think it's all just based on behavior when really it's based on what did you do with truth. Likewise, for Christians, there's a level of reward that he talks about. And, And a lot of times we get real uncomfortable talking about rewards at all. And and I would be, except Jesus talks about a lot. And and he actually expects that we would have enough faith in him that we go, you know what, my life matters here. And what I do with it matters here. And So so knowing that that's the end in mind, how do we live life in a way that I go, I don't want to live a life of regret. I want to live in a way that I'm in full expectation doing everything that he's gifted me and called me and resourced me to do. I want you to turn to a story of Jesus because he tells us, okay, part of that path and what it means in that. And he uses it through a story, a parable. And parables are designed in a way to teach a truth, Um, these stories that Jesus would teach through in it. In Matthew chapter 25, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, and in this, he gives us a, a picture of what this process looks like. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, Jesus describes it in this way. He said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So if you look at this, He's describing the man who goes away, similar to Jesus has gone away in the interim. He's gifted us. And I want you to notice the first thing about the gifting. He says one got five, one got two, one got one talent. A talent in that culture, it was worth about 20 years worth of salary for a day laborer. So it was a significant amount. So to give the one five is a huge amount. The 1-2 is still a big amount. The 1-1, one, one, still a large amount. Each of them, they've been gifted, but they've been gifted in different levels. And, and I think this is a good principle to grab in this because this is where we sometimes lose perspective in it. Here's what the principle is. Life is not fair, so get over it. Seriously, this, this principle will free you up a lot to actually start using your life. There are more people locked up thinking God owes them or life's supposed to be fair like my kids when they were little and you're slicing cake and they watch it and they just go did they get a millimeter more cake than me and I think we we can get caught up we're looking around all the time you go well it's not not fair they got all that it's not fair she has that not life's not fair And, and so there are people that get five talent money and some get two talent money and some get one talent money Get over it. God decided. According to what he thought was best in that. Some people get five-talent ability. Some get two-talent ability. Some get one-talent ability. Get over it. Some people get five-talent looks. And don't hate us for it, okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wait, you're laughing a little too much at that. (laughs) Some people get five talent marriages. And you can look at it and you go, they don't seem to work on their marriage nearly as much as we do. Some it's two and some one. Some five talent health and some two and some one. See, here's the point. If you spend all your time just kind of grinding because there's some kind of mentality that God's supposed to create some cosmic spiritual socialism that everybody got everything. And it just doesn't work that way. And, And the principle of it is, what did you do with what he gave you? It gets your eyes off everybody else. Because here's the reality. When you stand before Jesus one day, they're not going to be there. It's just you and Jesus. And so you really ought to focus on what he's given you. As it continues on with that, the second principle is God has an expectation for you to use what he gave you. There's an actual expectation. What are you doing with this? Read on in the passage with me. Starting in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In both cases, they took what was given to them And they use that for the sake, and and remember, this is a kingdom principle. You use their life, they use their resources, they use their work, they use their business. He's not bifurcating or creating these categories of, oh, just ministry stuff. He's talking about their whole life. how they use that for God's sake? How do they multiply it? How do they put themselves into it? And in that, you see that expectation that is built in there. What are you doing with it? Paul describes it as well. When he's talking about, remember, the judgment seat, the Bema, he he uses the picture. He says, in every Christian's life, Christ is your foundation. Everything that you build upon, it's, it's because of what he did first. He died on the cross. He laid that. The only reason you'll ever stand before him that one day to enter into his glory is because of Christ. But then he says, picture your life kind of like a building. What did you build on top of that foundation? Did did you build with, and he describes a different material, using your life in a way that it's gold, silver, precious stones. It's it's kingdom focused. It's kingdom related. It's thinking about how I use everything in my life, my life, my work, my relationships, my home. How am I using that for his sake, for his glory in it? Or is it wood, hay, and stubble? Maybe not bad stuff. It's just my stuff. It's, It's old stuff. It's stuff that is not going to last. He he describes the process. He said, each man's one's work will become manifest for the day, that day when you stand before Christ, when he comes back, will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. God loves to reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, again, this principle here, we're not standing for Jesus and he looks, did you earn enough to get into heaven? Did you earn enough? He's already paid everything we need for eternity. What he's talking about, though, is as we move into eternity, he looks at our life and he goes, man, what did you do? What did you build on top of it? I mean, only God could come up with a plan that has grace on top of grace. We don't deserve anything, much less rewards. But he, he gives that much more. But, but notice the other side of it. He said there are people that, yes, they'll enter in eternity, but they literally have nothing to show for their life. Literally, everything they live for here, it ended here. It burned up here. And, and, and as I understood this principle and, and really started to really embrace what that means in, in the faith part of that, of really living for that, it really freed me up personally as a pastor in a lot of ways when I call people to serve, when I call people to give, when I call people to just reorient their whole life there's a freedom that comes in it because I know i 'm now doing them a favor here 's what I mean in that some people will say man Tim, do you like talking about money? I mean in it hard talking about money in church and churches are self-serving when they talk about money and and i go yeah there's a part where churches have abused that maybe you've experienced that in the past i'm not denying that part but i'm talking about when i know especially like faith promise and what we're doing here and the ministries of it and things that go out i i know that it's kingdom focused i can't think of anything better that i could tell you to do to give because here's what i know one day you're going to stand for jesus And you're gonna be looking over the course of your life and you go, oh man, I am so glad I gave that. I'm so glad I served there. It's a little bit, not exactly like, but you ever had the experience when you're doing your taxes in the spring and you kind of pull out that file of things you gave you know, gave away in the last year. And you get, I'll notice what you gave to the church and what you gave to a charity. And sometimes I'll pull something out and I go, oh yeah, I forgot I supported that kid on that mission trip. Oh yeah, I forgot about that charity I went to across town, gave that. Yeah. And every one of those things I pull out, I'm like, yes, yes, I like those. Now, here's what's different. I like those because they're keeping me from experiencing a penalty. One day before Jesus, there's no penalty. He paid the penalty. But everything that I've invested and given and served and done, man, to know that I serve a God who likes to reward on top of that. That's why sometimes I'll talk to young people and they're going on the mission field or they're going on a trip and they go, "Ah, I got to go raise money. I'm a little scared to talk to people. I'm like, oh, look them in the eye. You're doing them a favor. One day they'll be thrilled you asked them. They'll be so thrilled you gave them the opportunity. Because it's thinking about getting out of life here. And it's so easy day in, day out to honestly lose this perspective. And start living the weeks and the years and the seasons and a life that you look back on. You go, man, I regret I didn't give, do, and engage more. I mean, look at this, how easy it is. Look at this, some of the common reasons we live regretful lives. Some of the common reasons we struggle with this more. Read on with me, verse 24 through 30. And he who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, listen how strong this is you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather what, where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. At least put it in the bank and get some interest on it. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, now this is not teaching a salvation based on stewardship. But there is a stewardship here. And part of it, he's talking to an audience that had the truth. And they didn't even steward the truth. They had the Savior with them and they didn't steward that with it. But, But notice in the answer, several of the things he said. And unfortunately, as I read through that, there's a lot of things that he says I can identify with. Here's what I mean with it. Some of the reasons I think that we don't live this way more. One, we're afraid to risk. We're afraid to risk. I mean, it's the very first thing that came out of his mouth. I was afraid. I was afraid of what would happen. I was afraid I'd make a mistake. I was afraid. I was afraid because I knew your expectations. And, and we live that life of fear. And if we're honest, probably one of the areas we get most afraid about is money. It's where we feel the most amount of anxiety, where we struggle with it. You know, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this. We, we struggle with just even daily life. He tells us to not be anxious over it, to trust God with it, to seek his kingdom first in it. Sometimes, though, I think we leave out the context that he gives us right before he tells us not to be anxious. He tells us the root problem. Look at it, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So then he teaches on anxiety and the worry that we have over that. But it's based on that, therefore, it's based on this principle at first. Who's really God of your life? Who's really the source of your security? Who do you really look to and trust? Is it God or is it our money? And as much as I think at a head level, it's so easy for me to say, yes, God's God of my life, at heart level, emotional level, you can feel that fear. And I know some of you go, well, Tim, I'm not afraid about money. I worry a little bit, but I'm not afraid. Guys, worry is just bite-sized fear. That's all it is. It's kind of like, you know, this last week we had Halloween. What do you, what do you get? You go buy those bags of Fun-sized candy bars. They're very deceptive, aren't they? You go and you eat a fun-sized candy bar. It's just a little fun size. I'll just eat that. And then I'll eat another. And then, you know, you look up and 14 pounds of candy later, I fun-sized myself to gluttony. I, the, the same happens. We, we, we convince ourselves, no, God, you know, money's not my source of security. I just worry about it some. And I worry a little more. And I worry a little more. If you add it all up, it's a pretty big chunk of fear that at a core level forces us to go, all right, where is my security? Do I really trust God in this? Trust enough to step out by faith. Trust enough to risk by faith. Trust enough to do this venture by faith. Trust enough to go on this trip by faith. Trust enough to give, give by faith. Man, it really is a rubber meets the road place. A few years ago, I was in Rwanda, and I'd taken my, my daughter had just graduated from high school. She had wanted to go. I'd been to Rwanda for several years, working with a ministry that would help poorest of the poor in Kigali, capital city, and helping slum kids be able to, to come and be a part of this after-school program and support them to be able to go to school. And as we went through the slums and everything, we met one little girl who was in the program, and her brother, who wasn't, he, he kind of hung back, and I noticed Kate talking to him. A little later, I saw her talking to the head of the program. I said, Kate, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm trying to get Javante in the program. He hadn't been able to go to school for two years. He's out of school and needs to catch up. And I said, I don't think they're taking any more sponsorship. She said, I, I said, I'd sponsor him. I said, and how are you going to do it? She said, I'll pay with my money. At that point, it was about 40 something dollars a month. It's gone up now over the years. It's 80 something a month with it. But I said, Kate, you'll pay with your money. Your money is my money, by the way. <laughs> and she I'll get a job. I'll support him. And I kind of, okay, that's up, that's up to you. And she got him in the program. She got her job. And even now, she's in college. It's interesting. We have our bank accounts linked so I can track everything. And every so often, I get this reminder from the bank. One of your accounts has really dropped, uh, like desperately low. It's always Kate's. And I'll get frustrated. You know, do that dad frustrated thing and I'll pull it up and what is she spending her money on? And then I see her support came out. It's convicting. Here's what convicts me on it. I find my security in money more than she does. That's the reality. There's a place to step back and go, am I allowing that to live and make decisions in ways? That I'd regret. Because I promise you this, watching Javonsee catch back up at school, watching him get discipled every day, hearing his excitement about the kingdom, and knowing the, the impact that will have, she's not regretting. She's sacrificing, but she's not regretting. Fear. Second reason I would just say, we're just lazy. I mean, that's what he said to the servant. He said, you, you lazy. Literally, the word is worthless. You couldn't get your act together to do anything with it? And now, even as I say that, it's funny, because here in the Bay Area, one term that's not applied to people that live in the Bay is usually lazy. You're like, Tim, we are busy. We're not lazy. I'm talking a kingdom lazy. And let's be honest. This area of the country, we're not really known for philanthropy. We're not. If you look at giving rates in other areas of the country, and I think part of it is it's so expensive here. I think part of it is we're so busy here. We're doing big and important things. And I can get caught up in this too. And I go, man, I, you know, it's a large church and I got a lot going. And then every so often I stop and go, yeah, but who are you tangibly actually serving? Do you protect these blocks of time, but you give away little pieces all the time? Instead of consciously, intentionally going, I'm going to use something with this. I'm going to do something with this because this is the only life I have. And and while here, how am I spending it? How am I living it? Third reason, I I would say we, we make stupid choices. We make stupid choices. I told you I was going to be direct today, by the way. I warned you. Now, you may look at it and go, I don't see Jesus use the word stupid. Actually, I think he's a little stronger. I mean, literally, when when the master goes, You worthless, lazy servant, you thought putting the money in a hole in the ground and just holding on to it until I got back was what was the right thing to do? It's dumb. How, How could you make that exchange? I mean, look at other passages. Jesus tells a story of a rich man who spent his whole life collecting his wealth, his whole life getting ready for retirement, his whole life collecting and collecting, and he finally says, man, I got so much stuff, it's filled all the barns, I finally arrived. Look what Jesus says in it. But God said to him, fool. Man, that was a stupid way to live life. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's going to happen to all that stuff? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus said, everybody who lives like this, man, that's stupid. I mean, at a soul level, look how he puts it in in Mark. He says, for what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What's worth your soul? And you may be here and you go, "Yep, yeah, Tim, Jesus saved my soul. Praise God. Shouldn't we be the ones that are the most living like it? Instead of the most holding on. The most giving our lives away. But somewhere along the way, stupid looks sensible. When you forget about the whole journey. When you forget about what matters most. And then at the core level, here's the last one I'd say. We justify our behavior and blame anyone else. We just get in a defensive justification mode. Notice this is how the servant started. When, when he said, I only have the one. But see, I knew you. I knew you're a stern master. I knew you were going to expect. I, you made me afraid. You hear, you hear his tone? It's not really my fault. It's not my fault I live this way. It's not my fault I did this. And, and here's where I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you, because even as I'm going through this, some of you, you're wrestling and you're doing this in your heart right now that you go, yeah, but Tim, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what my life, you don't know, I, you're, I don't. But here's the reality. You can sit there and justify yourself into a place where you go, I really didn't live my life for anybody but me. Because I convinced myself somewhere along the way, life wasn't fair and I didn't get my share. I convinced myself somewhere along the way, well, I'm just doing this for a season and someday I'll get to it. I convinced myself all these different reasons we can justify. And, and, and here's the other reality. You don't have to give an account to me. You don't. But you will talk to Jesus one day. And he's never going to bring up, here's the good news. See, you're scared you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to bring up all your sins. He's not going to bring up your sins. They've been paid for. He's dealt with that. But he is going to ask you, man, what would you do with what I gave you? How would you invest in what matters most? You're going to have to give an account to him. And and by the way, I'm going to stand before him one day and I got to give an account for you. And he's going to ask me, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you talk direct like this? Why didn't you tell people about this? And if I stand before him and go, well, people don't like talking about money. And I didn't like what they think about me and all that. You think that's really going to play real well? No, he's going to go, hey, I gave you truth. I gave you a platform. I gave you an opportunity. You have to steward that well. See, I don't want to live that kind of life especially when I step back and realize the point of the whole story is this God loves to reward those who risk much for him no matter how much they were given notice what the verse says in it I want you to notice what he said to to both the five talent and the, the two talent guy they got exact same commendation exact same reward He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Both of them. It doesn't matter if you earned five talent or two talent or if the one talent guy had only earned one talent or done anything with it. The point of the principle is not the amount. The point is what you do with what you had, your opportunities. And and can you imagine anything better than to hear, well done and good, good and faithful servant you've been given a little in this lifetime. Now, let me show you what real responsibility, let me show you what real reward looks like. Let me show you what real kingdom looks like here. And and I love that last line, enter into the joy of your master. Man, is there anything better than to know I lived life in a way it brought a great joy? They get to enter into the joy and experience the joy. And you know what the greatest part of that joy is going to be? It's not just tangible rewards we get there. You know what the reward actually is going to be more than anything else? The people you see in eternity that Jesus used your life to impact them. Man, to rub shoulders with people for all eternity that somehow God used you. He used your courage to share the gospel. He used your business as a platform to sustain life and show them what a Christian company looks like. He used your witness. He used your money to, to support a missionary. With Can you fathom what that's like to walk around eternity and rub shoulders with people that Jesus actually used to you to impact while they're there? Man, that's an eternal reward. So how do we live like that? I'm going to ask you to get in the game right now, two ways. Two things I'm going to ask you to do right now. One, my mission, and two for each of us, my pledge. Mission and pledge. And you, you received when you came in some items. I want you to pull them both out. One is your pledge card. We're going to take these in in just a moment. I'm going have the ushers come and take it. So if you haven't filled it out, go ahead and fill it out right now. And uh, we, we, we're enough weeks in this. Come on, we can jump on in. Everybody needs to get in the game on this. And here's what you do, you fill out that bottom part and then decide, okay, what is it by faith God's calling me to give that's gonna go to this next year? And make it a faith promise, not a sight promise. Sight promise is an amount that you go, yeah, I can see that. Faith promise goes, okay, God, I wanna do something that you're gonna have to show up. And make a faith promise pledge. We're gonna take that in just a moment. And the other thing that you have is not just your resources, I want you to get in the game with your mission. And so you should have a little sticker here. You see the sticker? Don't fill it out right now. It doesn't work really great with just a fountain pen. It's really designed for a Sharpie. If you get a Sharpie, and, and I've tried it, I've stuck it on everything, by the way. I put it on glass, I put it on my desk. It's, it's designed to peel off, so you don't have to worry about that. But, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to as you've been thinking about what is your mission that God's called you to right now? And over the course of this week, you write on that sticker and then you put it somewhere. Put it on your, I'm gonna put it on my mirror. So when I'm getting ready in the morning, I see it right there. Okay, yeah, that, that's what God's called me to. Maybe your mission is people, so you write on it. You know, I've got a friend, John, at work. And then I've got a friend, Paul, in my neighborhood. Oh, and then George down the street, we've been getting to know. I don't have room for Ringo, but you, you get that. Now, don't just put the name. So with John, man, John is totally uninterested in Christianity. Thinks Christians are off their rockers. I got to befriend this guy. I got to love this guy. So man, one time a month, we're going to go to a game, get a cup of coffee, grab a beer, do something that I know John would do. And we're going to connect with him, and show him just relationally that maybe he could turn from uninterested to and, and then Paul, man, he's starting to show interest. So I'm going to step out by faith, and I'm going to ask him if he would want to read through the book of John, one chapter a week, and we'll get a lunch together and just talk about that chapter. And, and then George, our families, we're going to start having them over for dinner. And man, you know what our, our ultimate goal is? We want to invite their family to the Christmas Eve services because we know they'll hear the gospel. And so we're going to really build that relationship. See, here, here's, it's getting missional. It's getting intentional. It's thinking about my time and going, okay, how am I investing my life? Maybe for you, as you've been hearing this, your mission is a, one of these regions. India has captured your heart over the course of the last few weeks. You can't stop thinking about India. And so you put on their short-term trip and get the dates on it. Start praying about it. Or or maybe I'm going to host an international student from India. You put that on there. In each of these things, I'll pray for one of our missionaries, and you put their name here. But it's a daily way of what is my mission? How am I going to get in the game? Maybe for you it's a cause that's just captured your heart right now. Maybe you look at the homelessness in San Jose and it breaks your heart. and That's all you write is homelessness. All right, God, I need you to to trigger in me a response. And and every day you pray about it, you think about it so that we're living with the end in mind and we actually get in the game and we live no regrets lives. Now, here's what I'm gonna ask you this week. When When I see you next week, I'm gonna ask you, did you stick it? And here's what that means. You actually wrote it out. and You stuck it. Did you stick it? I'm going to ask you that. So be prepared. I'm going to ask you to stick it. And then right now, I'm going to ask you to turn in your faith promise pledge. And everybody needs to. You need to get in the game. Even if you're sitting there and you're going, I can't do any, do something. You'd be amazed how it'll change your heart. You'd be amazed how it starts responding, and your heart grows for God's world with it. Because here's how the two of these go hand in hand. There's somebody sitting out here right now that God has given an audacious mission to. There's something that, that they're dreaming in their heart, and their mission, it's big. And God is calling you to give in an audacious amount. And your mission, ultimately, your amount funds their mission. And the partnership of that together does something that you may not even know about till eternity, and then in eternity, you see the connection, you get to high five each other, and you go, I "Had no clue," but we all were a part of that. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come and to uh, collect our faith promise pledges as we continue on with it. Will you pray with me, Father? We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you for the opportunity to give right now, Lord. I thank you that this challenges us. It should. It should you call us to this. And part of it is to stretch our faith, to stretch what we even think we can do in you. Lord, I pray that you would multiply what is even committed here. I pray that you would connect it. I pray for people this week to step out by faith and really write out an audacious mission to write out a specific mission, to write out the names and, and people and families around them that you love and they love and that they by faith would commit that to you. Lord, we don't want to just celebrate what's happening around the world. We want to be a part of it. We want to support it. We want to live it. We want to stand before you one day and hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.